So today's topic is bargaining, and it's one of the stages of grief. The first stage is denial. The second stage is anger. The third stage is bargaining, which is what we're talking about today. And I've also heard it phrased as negotiating. So bargaining or negotiating. The fourth stage is depression. And the fifth stage is acceptance. That's what we're all aiming to get to, acceptance. Because when this is a new journey for you, you feel like your world is falling apart. And I know that the easy way out would be to like end this life, right? Because it's so painful. It's so hard. It's so scary. But you can't do that because your child needs you. And you might be thinking, I'm not equipped for this. But I'm telling you that you are. You are equipped for this. You are the right person for the job. You might not know what you're doing, but there is a seed in you that will grow into an oak tree and you just have to give it a little water. And that's why we're here. We're here to water our seed. Welcome to Accepting the Unacceptable, a podcast for parents raising children with neurological differences. My five-year-old daughter, Remy, has autism and epilepsy. And while this hasn't been the easiest road, it's a road with more wonder and adventure than I could have ever imagined. I'm here to give you encouragement and share wisdom and stories to help you along in your own journey. Because let's face it, this parenting thing is not easy. I'm your host, Jody Warshawski, a wife, a mother of four, and a gal just trying to figure all this stuff out. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. So what is bargaining? Bargaining is a way to gain control over something that you have no control over. So bargaining, when we talk about the stage of grief is trying to make deals with God or the universe to make things right. And when I think about bargaining, I think it is the stage with the most resistance. So in the case of me having a daughter that seemed to be perfectly healthy when she was born and when she was a little baby, she was typically developing. She was the happiest little girl there was no smoke on the horizon at all. And then when she was nine months old, she had a seizure and another one and another one. And it turns out that she has a rare genetic disorder that causes her to have seizures and autism. So in my case, bargaining looked like spending a lot of time negotiating with God. Like, God, please make her seizure stop. If you do... I will be a better person. I will spend more time at church. I will feed the homeless. I will spend more quality time with my kids. So these are some of the things that you'll say. If you're not religious and you don't look to God or the universe, then your bargaining might be with with people or professionals. If I can just find the right doctor, I will do 
anything to cure my child. I will spend every dollar I have to fix this. And that is the most dangerous thing that you can ever say as being a parent of a special needs child is you will do anything to cure your child. And in this episode, I'll explain why that's the most dangerous thing that you can say. But that is one of the things that we say when we are bargaining and grieving. Another really common thing that we do when we are in the bargaining phase of grieving is we say a lot of what ifs. What if I would have done this different? What if I would have found the right doctor? What if I would have gotten help sooner? What if I never got pregnant? Or if only I were smarter and I figured this out earlier, or if only I had listened to other people, if only, if only, if only, if only, what if, what if, what if, what if. And that little game, that can last forever. And it never has an answer. I think about a fly, like, have you ever seen a fly in your house? And it's trying to get out and it, it bumps into the window And then it bumps into the window again and it keeps trying and trying and trying to get outside through the window and it'll do it until it dies. It will keep going and going and going until it can't do it anymore. That's why there's always flies at the bottom of a windowsill. But the interesting thing is that most of the time, a fly, if it just turned around there's probably an open door right behind it. So this is how it is with bargaining when we're grieving. We are so resistant to what is happening. We are trying to find a way out of it. So for me and Remy, she was having so many seizures. I was like, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? What what if I didn't do this? What if I didn't do that? And it kind of makes you irrational. Like, I took really good care of myself during my pregnancy. I didn't drink, smoke, take any drugs. I took my prenatal vitamins. I did all the things that anybody should do when they're pregnant. But when Remy got sick, I started rethinking everything. I thought maybe when I was pregnant, I didn't go to bed early enough. Maybe I didn't walk enough. Maybe I watched a scary movie and it traumatized the baby. And then it got to things like, well, maybe I should never have even thought that it was okay to even want another child. I had two beautiful boys. So what made me think that having another baby was okay? This is obviously something I deserve because I got greedy. Bargaining takes us really far but we end up in the same place because there is no solution. There's no answers that will satisfy us. It just drains all of our energy. It's the same thing as you getting on a treadmill and spending an hour on the treadmill and you get off the treadmill. You have run five miles. You're totally exhausted, but you are in the same exact place that you were an hour ago. So when Remy was born, I was 32, and I felt like I had lived quite a bit of life at that point. I 
got married when I was young, had two beautiful boys. I've lived, I've lived a really good life. Life kind of happens in a rhythm. And there has been good things in my life that have happened. And there's been bad things in my life that have happened. But it all kind of worked in a rhythm. And it's not like in that rhythm, you know exactly what to expect. But everything that happens just kind of fits. It's like the next piece fits into the puzzle. But when Remy started having seizures, and we spent so much time in the hospital, and then when she got diagnosed with autism, and we saw the massive mountain that we were climbing with that and her not being able to talk and her having all these behaviors and having all these challenges. When all of that was presented, it felt like there was an interruption. It felt like it took a straight line and it cut it and it derailed everything. It's like when something traumatic like that happens to you as a mother, you are in such disbelief that it feels like God got it wrong and we have to correct it. And this is the part of the process that is so hard because we feel like, okay, we're, you know, God has everything in control. And whether you believe in God or not, let's just call it the universe or science. You can even say science. Like there's always reasons for everything. And when when something like this happens where your child is healthy and then all of a sudden they're sick and it's just a slew of bad reports, it feels like God like slept on the job and, and he went out for a smoke break while the machine was trying to run. And so it's your job to put it back in place. Here's why bargaining is such a, a waste of energy is because it's like we get on the treadmill and we're trying to run this race because God forgot about us, forgot about our kid, and now we have to take over and we're running and we're running and we're running and then we get off and we haven't gone anywhere is because we know that we really, we don't have the power to change anything. And so that's why it's so frustrating, especially in this stage, because we're trying to come up with a solution. It's kind of like, okay, well, if no one else is going to do anything, I guess I'll do it. But when we go to do it, there's nothing to be done. So we start saying, if you fix my child, I'll go to church more. I promise I'll pray more. I, I promise I'll give more money to the needy. I promise I'll spend more time with my kids. Like anything that you weren't doing before, you're like, I'll do it now. I will do anything. I will sacrifice myself, all of my money, all of my time, my attention, whatever is required for God. Just listen to me. Just, just, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just make my child well. Have them please stop having meltdowns. Let them learn how to talk. Let them stop having seizures. Let them not spend so much time in the hospital. Let them just have a normal childhood. Take me, punish me, give me the seizures. Give me being nonverbal. I'll take it. Send me away, like isolate me, do whatever. Take my life, just make my kid healthy. I don't mean to get heavy, but I think this podcast is kind of aiming in that direction right now. But I do promise that 
it will lighten up as we go because I'm really a lighthearted person. And most of the time I'm like finding something to laugh at or making fun of something or being sarcastic. And most of the time it's, it's not heavy. It just is very heavy topics right now. So it is getting very heavy. And I apologize for that. I promise it won't always be like that. But one of my examples is when I was 20 years old, my grandpa got lung cancer and it came out of the blue. He never even smoked a cigarette in his life. So lung cancer was not something that anybody expected. And he went from being a little bit sick to being really sick in like a week. And when I went to go visit him, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the last week and a half that he would be with us. And I went to go visit him in the hospital and his organs were shutting down and he was unconscious. He was in the hospital bed and we were discussing what was happening. They told us he has stage four lung cancer. There's nothing that we can do. And I remember standing there with my grandma and having a conversation with the doctor. And I said, there has to be something that we could do. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care how much money we need to spend. We'll spend all the money that we have to find the right doctor that can cure him. And he hadn't been conscious for three days. But at that point, he sat up and he said, no. And we all looked at him like, oh my gosh, he hasn't said a word. He's been unconscious for days. And now he sat up and he bluntly said, no. And then he he laid down and his heart rate was elevated. And we realized, okay, obviously he can hear us. But during that moment, what was happening is we were at a point where we would do anything to help my grandpa. And my grandpa knew, he knew in his heart, there's nothing that you can do. This is stage four. I'm dying. I'm not coming out of this. Don't try to bargain all of the money that I have worked my entire life to save for my family so that you can dump it on something that's not even going to work. Now, on his side, he had enough awareness to know what was going to happen. On our side, we were desperate and would do anything. Unfortunately, it was only a few days later that he had passed away. And I'm sorry I didn't mean to have this go dark again, but I wanted to bring that example because it's it's something that happened that it was just one of those like times where I was in disbelief that that this was happening and and I would I would have done anything to to make him better. But when you're grieving and you're trying to bargain and I'll do anything or what if I just did this or how can I make this better? And and you're scrambling for answers. You are wasting your energy when when what you really should be asking is, what can we do now? How can we make the most of this right now? What's the meaning of this? And, and what can we learn? I know I'm going to ruffle a lot of feathers saying this, but I think that there are kids that 
are taking too many drugs because our goal is to do anything to stop seizures. So we over medicate them. And so sometimes like you give a kid a medication to stop seizures, and then they still have them. So you can't just stop giving them the medication, you got to give them another one. So you give them another one. And then you give them another one. And then before you know it, they're on four to seven different drugs every single day. And it might not even be helping the problem. They might still be having seizures. But I think that we get so scared that we are just like, we'll do anything to cure our kid. So here's an example of something that's been happening recently for me. Let me give you a little update on Remy. Remy is nonverbal. And I say that loosely because she has words that she says and she does her best trying to communicate, but they're not enough to have a conversation or for us to really know what she wants. She knows the word open and she knows the word close and she'll bring us something and she'll say open, open, and we'll open it and she'll have a meltdown, instant meltdown. And it started to get to a point where the meltdowns would last longer and longer. They would start out being like 10 minutes and then they'd go to 20 minutes. And in the past couple of weeks, it's been about two hours. Meltdowns that have lasted two hours because we opened a cheese stick in front of her. So we've gotten really good at not opening things as much as we can. But there have been times where I forgot or Zach forgot, or someone forgot, or didn't know, and she would give them something, or me something, and say open, and I would open it up, and then she would immediately fall to the ground, and start saying close, 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 and I've started to see psychotic behavior because of this, and of course, you can't close a plastic package after you've opened it. And so, what we've done is we've removed it from the room. We try to remove her from the room because it's triggering, and she's trying to dump garbage cans and throwing things across the room, and she's hitting herself and pulling her hair and scratching her face. And it's really it's it's hard to watch because she's in such distress. So what we have been doing is trying to open things away from her. And if she tells us open, we don't. We say, oh, no, 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 we're not opening that. And we kind of just push it away. And we try to get her to be interested in something else. This has been such an issue trying to to research. Kid has meltdown over opening packages I couldn't find anything. I've been asking everyone I know, do you know why she might be doing this? No one could figure it out. And so I started bargaining. I got to that place where I said to God, the universe, whatever you want to say, I will do anything so that Remy is not caused distress. I thought that she had OCD. I thought that she had some sort of psychosis, some some sort of schizophrenia. I thought the only solution now is to put her on a medication so that she's not having 
15 meltdowns every single day when someone wants to open a package. I really hated myself for even thinking about medicating her because I know that when you give someone a drug, it's easy to give them a drug, but it's hard to take it away. And so I didn't even know what kind of drugs were out there. But when your child is screaming and scratching their face and scratching their back and their legs and they're bleeding and they're banging their head and they're in such distress, you feel like I would do anything to give my child relief. Anything. And and that's where I was. And I know that for a lot of you, that's where you are. And thinking about that, it didn't sit right. It didn't sit right that I was going to go try and find some anti-anxiety medication for my five-year-old so that she would stop having meltdowns when we would open packages. And it also didn't seem right that no one could ever open a package in front of her. It sounded very unfunctional. And I just felt like there's got to be something else. And so I really sat with it. I sat with it. I thought about it. I started observing her more. And one day she gave me a package. She said, open, open, open. I put it, I gave it back to her and I said, oh, no, 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 no. You open it. And she gave it back to me, open, open, open. And I'm like, no way, I'm not opening this. You open it. And I I noticed that she looked at the package and I said, do you want me to help you open it? And so hand over hand, I put my hand on her hand. I showed her how to open this soup package. And she was so excited. She started jumping up and down. And I realized at that point that the reason that she was having a meltdown every single time someone would open a package is because her language is not allowing her to say what she really means. When she said, open this package, what she was really saying is, can you please help me open it myself? So it got to a point where she would say, open, please, and someone would open it and she would just instantly melt down and it got longer and longer and more violent. And all she was saying is, I just want someone to help me open it. And when I realized this, when I realized that the whole time that's what she was saying, I felt so bad because I was considering medicating her because of her psychosis. And I just wanted to bring the story up because this is what it's like to be a special needs parent is is most of the time you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what's best for your child. You do your research. You do everything that you can. And, and oftentimes you just don't have the answers and you guess and you guess and sometimes you guess wrong. And when, and when we're talking about the bargaining stage of grief, when you get to the point where you're saying, I will do anything to give my child relief, to take this pain away, I will do anything. For me in that moment, what I was saying is, I will do anything. I will put my daughter on another medication so that she can have relief. And had I done that, had I given her an anxiety pill or some sort of another another sedation pill because we weren't able to understand what she was trying to communicate, that would be 
devastating. Now, I'm sure that some of you are listening right now and you're probably thinking, I understand that, but I really don't know what's wrong with my child. My child isn't able to communicate their needs and I relate to your story, but I don't know why. My advice for you is to sit on it. Sit on it before you make any decisions that are really hard to undo. If your child is having meltdowns and you don't know why, don't rush to give them medication. Don't rush to give them more hours of therapy. I know that you're tired. I know that you're stressed. I know that it's hard. But I urge anybody that really resonates with that story that I just said, really spend more time trying to figure it out because your child is trying to tell you something. And this is what I found with autism is that the practice is always to try to figure out what they're trying to tell us because there is a language of autism and people that don't have autism need to learn the language. Have you ever seen the movie Bedazzled? So in the year 2000, this movie Bedazzled came out with Elizabeth Hurley and Brendan Fraser. The premise of the movie is that Brendan Fraser is this loser of a guy and he works at some dead end job and no one respects him and no one likes him and he's just this big loser and no one invites him anywhere. But he likes a girl named Allison and Allison doesn't give him the time of day. She could care less, but he adores her and would do anything to get her attention. So one day, Elizabeth Hurley's character comes up to him and she ends up being the devil. But she's this beautiful woman and offers him seven wishes in exchange for his soul. And all Brendan Fraser's character wants is the girl, Allison. And so he starts making wishes like he wishes that he was a rich, powerful man, and that Allison was his wife. And so the devil is like, okay, your wish is my command. And so he wakes up and he's in this huge mansion and he looks over and Allison is laying there next to him. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is a dream come true. But what happens is that he realizes that he is a Colombian drug lord and people are out to kill him and his wife, Allison, is cheating on him with the pool guy. So this whole movie, all of his wishes, they turn out exactly how he asked, but the devil always has some kind of twist in there that makes it like the most undesirable thing ever. So another one of his wishes, he's like, okay, so that didn't work out, obviously. So then he asks his next wish. He asks if he can be more sensitive so that his wife would see the sensitive side to him. And so the devil's like, yep, your wish is my command. And then he wakes up on the beach with Allison and he's writing her poetry and painting and he is bawling every time she says anything and she can't stand him because he's way too sensitive and then she ends up walking off with some like hardcore guys on on 
motorcycles or something. I don't, I don't know. It's been a really long time since I've seen it. But anyway, all of his wishes end up being that he, he wished for one thing and he got that one thing, but it wasn't what he wanted at all. And at the very end of the movie, after he does all his wishes and they all end up being crazy, he meets a girl in the elevator and she's not Allison and she's nothing like Allison. She's more like him. And she and he realizes at the end of the movie that Allison was just the wrong girl for him. And he was willing to sell his soul to be with her. But in reality, there was this other girl that fit him so much better. And I love this movie. I love it for so many reasons. I watched it in the year 2000 and 2001, 2002, 2003. It's actually been a few years since I've watched this movie. But I love the storyline of it because it really fits with how it is just to be a parent and especially being a parent of a of a kid with extra needs is sometimes you get to a place where you do want to bargain. You do want to say, I will do anything if the devil came to me right now and offered me one wish, my one wish would be cure my child And the reason why this is so dangerous is because of like what I was saying before. You can say, I I will do anything so that my child will stop seizing. Well, there's tons of drugs that they can give you to stop your kid from seizing. But it can also make them a vegetable. If your child has autism... And you're saying, I will do anything to fix my child with autism. I will do anything for them to stop having meltdowns and for them to be normal or for them to make friends or whatever you think is what your kid needs to be happy. Then you might sign them up for some kind of therapy that's abusive and that is that's stripping away at their spirit. And at what cost? That's the thing. You really have to be careful what you're saying or what you're, what you're willing to give up. I know that sometimes you have a family and one of your kids that needs all of this extra attention and love and, and finances and therapies. And you get to a place where you're saying, I'll do anything to help them. That could cost the love of your other kids. That could cost your marriage. That could cost your job. That could cost your life savings. And there's no guarantee that if you give up everything, that it's even going to benefit your child. So I I just wanted to bring those things up because it is very normal to say, well, what if I had only done this? What if I had only done that? Or... I will do anything to to make this right. While they're very normal, it drains your energy. And if you keep doing it, it can be really harmful. And the next stage of grief, that's depression, the more you're in the bargaining stage, the worse your depression will be. So my advice is if you are able to quiet that angry voice that one that has to find the solution and has to find the reason and has to make closure and and to 
and to become God, if you are able to quiet that noisy yapping voice, the one that keeps you up at night, the one that doesn't let you sleep, the one that is making you irritable and that's making you need to drink eight glasses of of coffee every day, that voice needs to be quiet because that voice, the more energy you give that voice, the more and more you will come up with no answers and the more despair you're just making yourself. One of the things that I ask myself a lot is, what if I didn't have Remy? What if she wasn't born? What if I was smarter about protecting myself so that I didn't get pregnant? I had two healthy boys. Why did I get greedy and decide to have another baby? If only I were smarter and wiser and thought with my head instead of my heart. If only I had done that, then she wouldn't suffer. She wouldn't be in the hospital all the time. She wouldn't have seizures all the time. She wouldn't have autism and she wouldn't struggle. So I spent a lot of time in that state. And what I started to realize is when you spend all your energy thinking those thoughts, your energy is not being spent on the things that have really blessed your life. Whatever you focus on is what you, what shows up. So if you focus on all of the negative things and all of the ways that your life is miserable and your child's life is doomed, that's what you're going to keep seeing. That's what's going to show up over and over and over. But if you focus on the other things, if you focus on the positive things, then that's what's that's what you're going to see and that's what's going to show up over and over and over. And I just have to tell you this right now. Your job as a parent of someone with special needs, your job is to be stronger than you were before. Your job is to raise up your child so that they can be the best that they can be. And if you are spending all of your energy thinking about what you did wrong and why are you being punished and if you could only change things and what you would be doing different and and I would do anything to change my child and and whatever it is, if you're thinking all of those thoughts, that is what you're going to be getting more of. And that and you, that is a cyclone of doom. And your child has no chance with a parent who has those thoughts. A child does have a chance with a parent that is like, you know what? You've got all this going on and you are beautiful. You are perfect the way that you are. God did not make a mistake on you and you are going to change the world just as you are. When I think about the person that I used to be and the person that I am now, Remy has everything to do with the transformation that's happened inside of me. I was just walking through life, just kind of letting life happen. There was no purpose. There was no vision or goal or I was just like going through life, just having a good old time. And Remy came and she had all these medical issues and it woke me up. It woke me up to be like, okay, like maybe I need to start paying attention to life. We only have one life. We need to make this life count that we're here for a purpose. And and if we're just 
daydreaming and and sleepwalking through life, life is going to pass us by. And and what what was it all for? And and Remy changed that in me. She showed me that hey, look, I suffer all of these things, and I can still smile. I can still brighten everybody's world. What's your excuse? When I was researching bargaining, I came upon a video from a girl named Megan Abston. Some of you might know her. If you don't know her, I suggest that you look her up. She's a very inspirational 20-something-year-old who lost her arm in an ATV accident when she was 14. She was talking about how she lost her arm and she went back to school and uh, she was grieving and she was angry and she was confused and she was embarrassed and she didn't want to be different. She didn't want to be stared at. She didn't want to be talked about. She didn't want people pitying her. And yet she was supposed to be Miss Positive, someone who, you know, was going to get through this, but she was she was missing her arm. So she talks about her anger at school. She'd go to school angry. She didn't want to talk to anybody. She isolated herself. And one day a counselor asked her into his office. And she said that this counselor was the kind of counselor that you never wanted to go to his office because he was really mean and rough and tough and 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 he was feared at that school. So he sits her down and she thought she was in trouble and he asked her, "What's your problem?" And she said, "Nothing." And he goes, "No, what's your problem?" And she thought she was getting in trouble and she was completely shut off and this counselor said, "You know, I almost lost my arm too." And he rolls up his sleeve and he shows her the scars on his arm. And he had been a drug user for so long, an infected needle almost took off his arm. And he said, I almost lost my arm too. And he reached in his drawer and he gave her a coin from his Narcotics Anonymous. And it had the serenity prayer on there. For anybody who is wondering what the serenity prayer is, it's a prayer or a mantra used in AA. And this is what it says. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So when Megan was in his office and he told her this prayer, she realized that she was focusing on all of the things that made her life so hard, that she was living with one arm, that she was not going to be the same and she couldn't play sports and she wasn't going to be able to join the wrestling team and that maybe she's not going to get the boyfriend that she wanted and she wondered if she'd ever be able to have kids and all of the things that were bad in her life because she lost an arm and she met this counselor and the counselor said, I almost lost my arm too. Now I look at these scars and I'm thankful that I'm alive. What are you overlooking because you're so focused on what's wrong with your child? What are the blessings that you are not seeing because all you want to do is fix what's broken? 
What I want to leave you here with is I understand that this is really hard. I understand that it's hard to get through being a parent of a child that you don't have a pamphlet to raise. You don't know what to do. I understand that. But I do want to tell you that your child is amazing and beautiful and wonderful and perfectly made exactly the way that they are right now. Maybe you don't understand why they're in the hospital so long and no one can figure out what treatment to give them and no one can understand what's going on in their brain and why they're having meltdowns and why they're stimming and why they can't make friends and why they're made fun of and they're being bullied and why it's hard to take them out in public because they'll run away or you're scared to go to sleep because you don't know if they're going to be alive when you wake up. I know that all of these things are hard, but there is a reason that your child was given to you. And if you spend all your time trying to change what is, you're going to miss the beauty of why they are in your life and why they are in this world. I think that it's really important to talk about the grieving process because we all go through it. And if this is really hard to grasp, if you are in a place where you're thinking, I'm not even there yet, I don't know how I can get over all of this, I promise you it'll come. But just allow yourself to grieve. Allow yourself to be sad and confused and angry. And 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 it's okay that you're in the bargaining stage. I just urge you not to stay here. The next stage that we're talking about is depression. And that's a really heavy topic. It, um, you don't have to have a special needs child to be in depression. Uh, I know a lot of parents that have kids on the spectrum, they're depressed. Some of them were depressed before they had kids, which is like a double depression. And um, it's going to be a really good episode. So please join me next week. Subscribe to the podcast. And that's about it. So for anybody who has stuck around this far to hear me all the way to the end of this podcast, thank you so much for joining me. I am thrilled to be able to share whatever it is that I've gone through with you. And I am so honored that you have spent your time listening to me. So thank you so much for joining me. Until next time. Go out there, give your cuties a hug, tell them that they're perfect the way that they are, that you love them, that you'll be there for them no matter what, and I will see you next time. Thank you, love you, bye.